Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. President Trump impeached again as he heads to Texas and a legislative session starts in a pandemic. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. Hi, I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com. And hello to Jeremy Wallace, ace political reporter at the Houston Chronicle. How are you, sir? I am doing well after a really long drive to deep south Texas. You've been all over the place, although I think you ought to open the deep south Texas bureau as much as you're down there and as expert as your reporting has been on all of that. Now, why was Jeremy in south Texas this week? He was there because President Trump was there. Um, And as he was heading to the border to talk about the border wall, which seemed a little subdued. There was a little something going on back in Washington. On this vote, the ayes are 232, the nays are 197. The resolution is adopted without objection. The motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. That's the sound of the president being impeached for the second time. Is that history, Jeremy? Has any president been impeached twice? Absolutely not. I knew there was nothing in the rules that said they couldn't impeach him twice, and there had been a lot of talk about that. What was it that put it over the top? Well, it was the riots at the Capitol last week, which, of course, we covered at length here on the show. Um, just uh, what a situation. I mean, the uh, insurrection is the way it was described. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Republican former President George W. Bush right, and other yeah. Republicans who said it was completely um, out of line. It was. Um, it was just something we've never seen before. Um, I'm not putting it on par with 9-11, but that's the way the coverage played out on that day, right? Like this thing is happening and you started to watch it on television and you sort of couldn't believe your eyes that this mob, uh, you know, just descending on the U.S. Capitol, entering the Capitol, breaking the windows, going into the House and Senate chambers, uh, stealing things, looting. Um, Remember what the president said about looters during the riots last summer, what did he say? When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Luckily for these people at the Capitol who were Trump supporters, and before I get any emails or hate texts or anything like that, um, it was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who I'll get to, who said, we have to admit, these are Trump people. Even though we had the Attorney General of Texas, what did he say? Ken Paxton said that, no, 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 this is Antifa, even though yeah. it was, there was no evidence of that. Uh, where was it that Trump went to in South Texas? Okay, so, you know, Trump ended up in Hidalgo County, the furthest southern tip, right along the Texas border. You know, that you could almost feel like he was like looking for a refuge while Congress was talking about impeachment. You know, it's like what better you know for Trump to do than talk about the one issue that made Trump Trump, right? Yes. The border wall, and so he was down, you know, just south of a town called San Juan, you know, Texas, uh, where he was in, you know, in front of a part of wall that you know he was trying to say is you know his legacy but what's what was crazy about that like i drove the length of that wall if you go about five miles you know east or west of that there are huge gaps in that wall everywhere so what we have is this odd like sporadic wall with these yeah. huge gaping holes 
for miles and miles and miles. And I'm not sure, you know, if that's supposed to make Biden finish the walls or mm-hmm. or what? Or do we just leave it up there as some monument to American not doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, listen to this, Jeremy, because I thought, um, and since you were there, uh, you'll, you'll probably have thoughts on this as well. It seemed to me that it was very subdued, very toned down oh, yeah. what I remember before when he would talk about the wall. This is Trump speaking down there uh, where Jeremy was covering the story. We've worked long and hard to get this done. Uh, they said it couldn't be done and uh, we got it done. One of the largest infrastructure projects in the history of our country. Am I right? Does he sound yeah. a little... Um, I don't know, almost morose about it. Um, it, Listen to the detail uh, that he shares with them, the details he shares about what that wall looks like. We got it exactly as you wanted it. Everything, including your protective plate on top. I say, why did we put that? And they said, we need it for extra protection, climb plate. And uh, we have everything you want. It's steel, it's concrete inside the steel, and then it's rebar, a lot of heavy rebar inside the concrete. And it's as strong as you're going to get and strong as you can have. But we gave you 100 percent of what you wanted. So now you have no excuses. I didn't want you to have any excuses. 100 percent of what you want would include what you described, Jeremy, a wall with a lot of holes in it and only for a certain amount of miles there on the border. This reminds me of uh, when a band like, let's say, Aerosmith. They would use, they would play big stadiums. Uh, I remember seeing Aerosmith as a teenager at the Summit in Houston, which of course is now Lakewood Church, um, and you know that's a that's a huge rockin' concert, right? Yep. This would be like when you go because remember the way President Trump used to talk about this was the we will build a big beautiful wall and Mexico will pay for it. I don't think Mexico's paid for anything. Although after the riots in Washington, some people were joking that now they want a wall between the United States uh, <laughs> and Mexico and Canada would like one too, after all of that. Um, it's like when they play, a big band would play stadiums and now they play a lounge act in Vegas. Yeah. Some very subdued versions of the songs. Well, and then that's, and that the whole mood of that thing was like, you take Trump's, you know, crowd away you know it's, it's not a rally anymore as i could hear it in his tone of course he's under you know siege in all corners he couldn't even let his supporters into the event because of security reasons mm-hmm. and so he you know there, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people outside this event who wanted to get in and root and cheer for him but they never got a chance to see him because he choppered right back out you know, so he never even saw them. And so it was like it's a weird event. It was just like it was like two hours of his time to be around, you know, a handful of people. Was, there may have been 100 to 200 people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. And it was just so, you know, sleepy. The whole event was just sleepy is the best way to put it. And you just what that's it kind of surprised me. You know, it's like, it yeah. felt like if, if he was trying to, you know, you know, throw a stake down and say, this is my legacy and look at what we did. You would have expected there were a lot more energy there. But clearly whatever happened, you know, the, the things that have happened in D.C. over the previous 10 days clearly, you know, have had an effect on him. And he just didn't look like he was having any fun at all. Right. And that elephant in the room, of course, uh, what Jeremy's talking about is the fact that he was impeached back in Washington while he's talking and he touched on that briefly. I'd like to say that free speech is under assault like never before. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. 
The impeachment hoax is a continuation of the greatest and most vicious witch hunt in the history of our country and is causing tremendous anger and division and pain far greater than most people will ever understand, which is very dangerous for the USA, especially at this very tender time. Dear listener, you are now hearing lectures from President Trump and his supporters on what's too divisive. Yes, you have now heard it all. What about the violence at the Capitol that many have argued was incited by the president? Millions of our citizens watched on Wednesday as a mob stormed the Capitol and trashed the halls of government. As I have consistently said throughout my administration, we believe in respecting America's history and traditions, not tearing them down. We believe in the rule of law, not in violence or rioting. So he talked about that, then went right back to the border wall stuff. You were uh, there to also talk to Trump supporters and Biden supporters. What were people saying, Jeremy? Well, it's interesting. So the Trump supporters, you know, are still just, you know, defiant. They're saying that, you know, look, you know, I, I probably talked to like six or seven of them right in front of the uh, event where he was speaking. Uh, and they said, look, you know, he still has a great legacy. He's done a lot of stuff, you know, it's like, and they say he didn't tell those people to storm the, the Capitol. You know, it's just like, you know, if he had said that, then that'd be one thing. But so they were very defensive of him, you know, saying, you know, he deserves to, you know, you know, the, for the media and the Democrats to treat him better towards the end here. Of course, on the in Democratic side, uh, they were like just him being in South Texas w- was concerning. They were, you know, having come so close to uh, just a week after the not even a full week after the storming of the Capitol. They were like, wait, is there going to be violence here today? You know, there were it was a Trump train that had been organized. One of those like, you know, plow through town, you know, rows of cars, you know, had come through. Uh, like I said, there were hundreds of people, you know, packed along the roadways. And like, there's a, now there's this sense that, you know, when Trump has these things, it's more menacing than it was before. Mm-hmm. And the people of, you know, that area, which is very democratic, they voted heavily for Joe Biden. Yep. And here they had, you know, Donald Trump making his last stand, you know, right there. So they were very concerned. And you know, I talked to one guy uh, who told me, he says, like, I just can't wait for January 20th. I will begin to sleep a lot better. And he's like, and that was kind of the sense of some of the Democrats I was talking to. Yeah, now in this state, Republican leaders, including Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, Governor Greg Abbott, Attorney General Ken Paxton, as we mentioned, and other Republicans have all said things and promoted the idea that the election was stolen. All of them have said things that – so if you take Greg Abbott, uh, he had said that no illegal votes should be counted in any states. Of course, everybody agrees with that, but it implies that illegal votes are being counted somewhere, yeah. right? Ken Paxton spoke at the rally directly preceding the riot at the Capitol. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick has been one of the closest allies of President Trump, whipping people up on Fox News and elsewhere. And uh, I know that you saw his speech at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Uh, this week, uh, Patrick was doing something that he's, you know, I mean, he's sort of good at this, getting some attention, saying something controversial. He was talking about the idea that the election was stolen and trying to be clever about it. We know the election was hijacked. There is no question. You hear the applause there, right? That He says the election was hijacked. It was stolen. In the same speech, Jeremy, he said, now, I'm not somebody who says that it was stolen, yeah. Right, so that's, that had people a little bit confused. So, so let me explain what he's doing. Um, he's leading this crowd that 
a bunch of them want to believe that the election was stolen. And make no mistake, when they applaud, they're they're thinking of 2020, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That, that people shouldn't uh, think anything else. And I'm pointing that out for a reason. Listen to the rest of this. Um, he was speaking at that conservative think tank, and he's got those people thinking he's talking about 2020. But here's where he goes with it. I want to say the TV cameras. The election was hijacked. There is no question. For the TV cameras? Wow, that's so unlike him. To, to do it for attention. <laughs> All right, keep going. In fact, if you think the election was hijacked, there is no question. Stand up with me. Now, for the TV cameras and the news media here, I just want to let you know that we all stood up for what Nancy Pelosi said in May of 2017. When Nancy Pelosi said those words, the election was hijacked. There is no question we must save democracy and follow the facts. And Twitter did not cancel her, and American Express did not cancel her, and nor did AT&T or did Marietta, anybody. So media, you all can sit now. Did you ever think you'd ever stand up for something Nancy Pelosi said? <laughs> My point is, it's the double standard. The double standard. The double standards are real, of course, but when yeah. you're hyper-focused on double standards, it's often to deflect from your own bad behavior Right. It's, it would be like if your kid said, well, you know, um, my my sister is messing up, too. My sister is, you know, making a her room is a disaster, just like my room is a disaster. And the kids are refusing to clean up their rooms. Yep. I'll use a mundane example. Well, you wouldn't let your son get away with saying that your daughter's room is a mess, too. So he shouldn't have to clean his up. How about you not lie about the election? Why not try that? You know, it's. I had some people try to argue that you know, if you listen to the exact words that President Trump said at that rally right before the riot, and you listen to the exact words that uh, Ken Paxton used right before the riot, you could make the argument that neither of them actually said people should go to the Capitol and participate in a riot. You can make that argument. Yeah, but that's not what anybody is really arguing. That that that's not the point. It's not sharp rhetoric that's the problem, Jeremy. It's that people are spreading misinformation. They're making people believe that an election was stolen when it wasn't. There were more than 60 court cases that were all thrown out, but I'll repeat this. Uh, All those court cases thrown out, even by judges that were appointed by President Trump himself. If there would be any fair arbiter of the facts, it would be, you know, in a Trump supporter's estimation, it ought to be those judges, right? But they won't even buy that. So, who else is going to have to answer questions about whipping people up before this quote-unquote stolen election? I know, Senator Ted Cruz, right? He was leading the charge on the Senate floor uh, last week, as we covered here on the show. And in the meantime, there's been a lot of talk about whether there should be any consequences for him, uh, whether he would be expelled from the Senate, um, whether he might have to resign. Now, I don't see him doing that, Um but there are other remedies here. Did you see the piece in New York Magazine? Oh, yeah. Yep. Senator Cruz? Some of his former staffers unloaded to Washington reporters. Um, they were talking about this man uh, being not the same person they worked with before. Uh, let me read from, from part of this. And, and warning, dear listener, there's a little bit of rough language ahead. I always like to warn people, you know, if, if kids in the car or something. Ted Cruz... Has a, I'm reading from the story. Ted Cruz 
has long had a public reputation as an unctuous asshole. You know, the word unctuous doesn't get used enough, Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> I like that they threw that in there. Even so, his staffers have tended to hold him in high regard. They have asked themselves how the man they once viewed as deeply principled has been so willing to behave so cravenly. You know, uh, there are people who worked for Cruz back in 2012 when he was campaigning for Senate originally, when he was in a four-way race that went to a runoff with Lieutenant Governor David Dewhurst at the time. And a lot of Republicans here in Austin uh, who uh, are close to Senator Cruz or were in the past have said, and some who, who weren't, who just, you know, were making the observation, they said, you know, it seemed like a different guy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they even liked that guy either, but he seems different. Um, you know, when he was first running for Senate in 2012, it was more about being a constitutional conservative, a rock-ribbed, right-wing conservative. He wouldn't describe himself as right-wing, but you get it. Um, and now it has turned into this sort of uh, – this thing where it's anything to please the Trump base. And as we've pointed out many times and other people have written about extensively, the conservative base and the Trump base are not exactly the same. No. Right? Those, are di- those are different things. Um, and how many times is Cruz going to walk the plank for Trump before it catches up with him? Uh, and the people who supported Cruz because of what he was before with this rock-ribbed constitutional conservative, how long before they say, you know, we're not with this guy anymore? Um, when he first ran for office in 2012, and that was his first run for anything, um, he was surrounded by people who are now close to who? Chip Roy the congressman from uh, South Austin and down into San Antonio. Now, what was Roy's position on throwing out the election results? It was the opposite, yeah. right, of what Cruz did. Cruz was asked about all this on NBC5 in Dallas, and he was asked specifically, do you, Senator, bear any responsibility uh, for these riots in Washington? The job that I was elected to do is to fight for the people of Texas. And, and what I was doing is debating on the floor of the Senate election integrity, how we can protect the integrity of our elections. That has nothing to do with this criminal terrorist assault, which was wrong and needs to be prosecuted. And, and, and it's exactly the opposite. What I was doing is how you're supposed to resolve differences in this country, debating in the United States Congress, in the Senate, uh, having respectful civil disagreements and debating based on the Constitution and based on the law. And the topic that I was fighting for, I'm proud to be fighting for all of us working together to make our elections secure, to fight voter fraud, to make sure that every Texan's vote counts and and, and that we can trust in the integrity of our elections. But So he doesn't um, bear any responsibility, Jeremy. But does President Trump have any responsibility for what happened? Look, I, I think he plainly bears some responsibility. At the end of the day, Criminals are responsible for their own conduct, and the terrorists who conducted that attack, they bear the responsibility. But I think his, his angry rhetoric was, was reckless, and I think it was harmful. Should Cruz resign? There have been a lot of calls for his resignation over the last week since the riots happened with him at the forefront of the Senate debate on whether to throw out election results or have a commission look at the results. Well, when he's asked that question, Cruz thinks it's pretty funny. Oh, I think it's people playing politics. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that, that, that Democrats are looking to take out strong conservative leaders. And so I, I, I'm not, I, I just have to chuckle when, when, when they engage in, in attacks. And, and, you know, sadly, uh, you've got a lot of Democrats who are using incendiary rhetoric. They're complaining about the president's rhetoric, and, and they're right in that. 
but then they're turning around and using the kind of rhetoric that just, just throws gasoline on flames. I, I think everyone needs to calm down. This is a time when our country is divided. And, and I think we need to come together. That's, that's, that's a big part of why I proposed a, an election commission, because I think it would have helped this nation heal to have a credible, credible adjudication of these claims. Unfortunately, Congress did not adopt that suggestion, but I, I thought it was very positive to bring 11 senators together to jointly make that recommendation. 11 senators, an overwhelming show of support. Um, what were some other Republicans saying about this, Jeremy? I know you had some conversations over the last week. Well, it's really interesting to see, like, well, particularly, like, the difficult part for Ted Cruz is, like, looking at where Mike Lee was. You know, Mike Lee's the, you know, conservative from uh, Utah who has yeah. generally been with Cruz on a lot of stuff. They're almost best buds. Almost everything, yeah, right. Yeah, and he's such a constitutional conservative type person, always, like, quoting from the Constitution. And, you know, he made it very clear during that speech that there was nothing in the Constitution that allowed them to do what <laughs> Cruz was asking the body to do. And so you have Cruz you know, like pushing in this direction uh, for something to happen that like it, it's hard to kind of put it into the constitutional conservative basket. You know, a basket that, you know, look, let's be honest. Ted Cruz has been very good at cultivating that image and persona. You know, a guy, you know, like he's been wrapped around the Constitution. Like, and he's a he constitutional kinda, expert. Exactly. He, you know, he's Harvard Supreme Court justice. Yeah, he's been Chief at justice. Harvard. He knows everything about the Constitution, right? And then to see him being countered by, you know, Chip Roy and uh, Dan Crenshaw and, uh, you know, Mike Lee and Rand Paul, it's just like he's just in a different spot on this. And, and, and it goes back to what you were saying. It's like the temptation to, uh, have a passionate base like Donald Trump has where you can do anything and they stick with you, that temptation has got to be incredibly high for Ted Cruz to put that constitutional conservatism on the shelf for right. that one little moment that sadly is going to, you know, again, I think to a lot of people, like that article in the New York Magazine said, he looked like he was just doing something so political to make sure he could win those Trump supporters four years from now when he runs for president. That's yeah. all it looked like. It did not look like that guy believed, you know, for a minute that, you know, the United States Senate had the authority to stop this. There's nothing in the constitution that allows it. He's always the first one to argue that. Right. And on this one day, he decides to argue against it. And it just like, I, and you can see why so many of those former Trump employees, those, you know, he had staffers quit right after that. It's like they, they just they were done with him, you know, because it just it wasn't his brand. It's like he's yeah. trying to trade his brand for Trump's for some reason. But Trump's brand is so damaged and it just it's perplexing to me. Uh, and I keep trying to remind people, it's like, let's let's not forget. Ultimately, John Cornyn won his reelection by far more than Ted Cruz won his reelection. Yeah. You know, tell me whose politics might be better for the state of Texas. Yeah. Who's uh, who's actually reading the electorate uh, in the general elections? It's it's more of the Republicans like uh, Greg Abbott, yep. who on the same exact ballot overperformed uh, Cruz by what ten or eleven points. Yep. Something yeah. like that. Uh, uh, Abbott uh, beat his opponent by thirteen points, uh, and Cornyn beat his opponent by ten points. Um, you may have seen, I believe it was a New York Times report, uh, that uh, the majority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, who's now shifting to minority leader, uh, but the Republican leader 
was said to be pleased that Democrats in the House were moving forward with impeachment of President Trump, because if there's any time to sort of excise this from the Republican Party, it's right now. There's been all this um, chatter about whether or not President Trump would run for president again in four years uh, after the first uh, Biden term. Um, but if they impeach and vote to remove in the Senate, they have the ability to ensure that he's not allowed to run for federal office ever again. I would just point out, without any commentary on my part, dear listener, the same number of votes that it takes to remove the president and ensure he can't run for office again is the same number of votes it takes to expel a senator from the United States Senate. And Ted Cruz has very few friends in the Senate right now. It may come down to them putting him in a corner, putting Cruz in the corner and saying, we're going to let you know what we're going to do with you. Now, I would speculate because people love this. Let's say they did that. Let's say they expelled Cruz. So we have an open Senate seat from the United, from in the United States Senate uh, from Texas. Who would Greg Abbott appoint to that seat? Can you think of any names? Boy, yeah, there's so many people to pick from. I'm not sure who. Here are the three that I'll throw out there. Um, one, George P. Bush, all right, land commissioner, Bush dynasty, all of that. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Um, there's an argument to be made that Abbott would rather Patrick not be here for the legislative session because it has been, there has been tension between the two guys and he can give them the promotion and move them on to Washington. And he would be, Patrick would be the kind of U S Senator that would be like uh, Joe Biden used to be. Remember the stories about Biden used to walk up and down the street where they do all the Sunday morning TV shows and they would see that there's a Senator walking. And if any other guest just happened to cancel, they'd see there's a Senator out there and they'd call him into the studio. Hey, do you want to be on the air with us on ABC, NBC, Fox or whatever? Patrick would be the kind of senator to do that. The other dark horse I would throw out there would be former Texas House Speaker Joe Strauss, uh, who oh, still wow. has who still has I think about seven or eight million dollars in his uh, account, um, in his campaign account. That's the kind of starter money you need to be you know running for the Senate going forward. We'll keep an eye on all of this. The legislative session opened this week, and it was just weird. Jeremy, I'll just say it was surreal. Yeah. Um, you know, I've covered this stuff for a long time. You have too. And the legislative session, the way it starts, it's supposed to be like the first day of school where the lawmakers bring their families. They've got their parents there, their kids there, special guests from their parts of the state and that sort of thing. Um, but it was um, happening with two crises unfolding. One, at least two. One is COVID-19 still with us, of course. And what are the latest numbers look like, Jeremy, on COVID? I mean, we're still pretty high in Texas, right? Yeah, we're, we're over 14,000 people in the hospital, which is insane. That is more than doubling what's happened since Election Day, mm -hmm. uh, to put that in perspective. And we're over 30,000 deaths. You know, it's just like it's, just, it's hard to even comprehend losing 30,000 people uh, just since March. You know, it's just like that may not, you know, uh, why aren't they here? You know, it's just like, and it's mostly because we just haven't been able to curb this stupid disease, right? Yeah. The legislature has now been in session for a total of three days. They're off today on Friday as we are recording. So they were there from Tuesday to Thursday, deciding what their rules are going to be, basically what their operating procedures are going to be during the pandemic. Um, and I think this is going to be an ever evolving thing. Uh, and just this morning, we have a report here on Friday that one lawmaker tested positive for COVID-19 after having been on the floor of the Texas House with other members of the House 
for the last you know few days. Uh, so it, it's there already a potential as we get going in this first week of a of an outbreak of COVID nineteen. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, but there's some differences in the way the Senate and the House want to operate. Usually during a legislative session, particularly because it's all controlled by Republicans, the tensions really happen between House and Senate on most issues. Right? It's 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 the Speaker versus the Lieutenant Governor. The governor throws in some ideas sometimes. A lot of times the governor has to sort of be the referee between the House and Senate, although we have a governor right now who's reticent to do that and has been, you know, uh, pretty hesitant to do anything like that, um, you know, during his uh, time in office as governor so far. Uh, The House, they went out of their way on Thursday to make an announcement that members of the House don't have a requirement to be tested for COVID-19 as they go on the floor. In the Texas Senate, it is the exact opposite. All of the yep. members of the Senate have to be tested. Um, and I don't see any exception in the rule uh, in the Senate that if someone has been vaccinated, because there are older members of the Senate and some with um, you know underlying conditions, there's no reason they shouldn't be able to go ahead and get the vaccine for quite a few of them. I don't see any exception that they don't have to get tested uh, if they've had the vaccination. On the House side, they pointed out that the average Texan, you, me, Anybody listening to the show can just walk into the Texas Capitol and there's no testing requirement. All right. They basically said in the house, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, it, it, no testing requirement. Um, but how do you conduct government business when you don't know that something like what's being reported this morning is, is you know maybe going to happen, that you have one of the members of the house who has potentially now exposed other members of the House. And we already see today, Jeremy, uh, one member from North Texas, uh, Michelle Beckley, is a state representative from Carrollton. She said she's going into 10-day quarantine right now because she was exposed to this other member, uh, Joe Desitel, who's from Beaumont, who tested positive for COVID-19. Um, you have other members saying that this is highly irresponsible and they're very worried about this. Uh, both the House and Senate agreed that people should have to wear masks in the Capitol, including the members of the legislature. Uh, but there's also some questions about how they're going to um, uh, conduct public interaction uh, during hearings. Um, you know, when they consider pieces of legislation, Texans have a right to go down to the Capitol and have their voice heard on those uh, bills that are going infi- you know, to uh, impact their life. Um, and the way they've set it up, Jeremy, I'm looking at the House rules right now. In the House, if you have a committee of nine lawmakers, it would be the case that only two lawmakers have to be present uh, in the room to be able to listen to testimony as long as other members were listening and there's two-way communication with those members. Um, but if you want to testify, you have to go do it in person. Yeah. All right. So some people said that that's hypocritical. Uh, and then you also have um, you know questions about uh, keeping not only the lawmakers safe, but everybody else safe. And the other crisis I was mentioning is whether or not we're going to have riots at the Texas Capitol like they had in Washington. People were very concerned about that ahead of the legislative session. On day number one, as I was there, I have never seen a show of force by the Texas Department of Public Safety like I saw on the first day of the legislature. There were way more officers than there were uh, anybody who looked like a protester. Um, And they don't look like police officers, Jeremy. They look like stormtroopers. Well, yeah, it looks like the military is present um, and, you know, fully automatic uh, firepower. Uh, Anybody who would have tried to pull anything like what happened at the U.S. Capitol last week at the Texas Capitol. I'll put it this way. They would turn them into hamburger in the hallway. Yeah. Right. Uh, It would be uh, that that would not be tolerated for one second. Now, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick talked to Tom Abrams. 
Channel 13, KTRK Television in Houston, about the COVID restrictions at the Texas Capitol. This session, I'm asking all those folks, if you're coming to the Capitol because of COVID, um, because we want to keep the public safe, the staff, which numbers almost 1,500, safe, and the members, and we don't want to cause a spread, that we are going to be open more than any other capital in the country. We're going to have, we're not doing Zoom hearings like most capitals. Uh, we're not keeping the citizens out like most capitals. But if you're coming, come to testify on a committee. Come to visit with a senator. This is not the year to come on a tour. Now, what about critics who say the capital is restricted, but, for example, schools have to be open? We want our schools open, and they are, and about half of our students are in class. But there are no visitors allowed in our schools. I mean, you drop your kids off at the door. If you go to the hospital, very few, if any, hospitals allow you to come in. Uh, if you have to drop someone off at the emergency room, you're not allowed to go in and sit with them like you normally would. For months and months and months, people weren't allowed in nursing homes. It's still very limited. So we're trying to do something here, and I'm a big proponent of it. I've been pushing this, trying to do something that basically no one else in the country is doing, and that's to be as open, as normal as we can. This is the public's house. I want people to come and be able to testify in person when committees start in mid-February. They may start a week later or so this year. Uh, but I want people to be able to come and testify. I want people to come and, and visit their, uh, their, their members uh, to talk about legislation. Uh, but I want them tested like you were tested today so we can sit here and do this interview. Because when you get hundreds and hundreds of, again, there's 1,500 people roughly that work here. Uh, when you get hundreds and hundreds of people roaming the halls, it's hard to social distance. And if they're not tested, we're not protecting the public. The lieutenant governor, as we have reported here, uh, seems to be deathly afraid of catching COVID-19. And he has good reason to be. He's 70 years old. He had a heart condition in the last couple of years. Um, but he is the same person, I will remind folks, that told Fox News Channel last year that people who are elderly should at least be given the choice to expose themselves to COVID-19 uh, for the sake of the economy. Jeremy, when it comes to the business he's in right now, which is politics, um, he has a little bit of a double standard. Imagine that. Uh, well, the same guy who was saying that there's a double standard with the media uh, for Nancy Pelosi has a double standard for the way he's going to conduct his business at the Capitol versus the way business ought to be done uh, at private businesses around the state. Well, and, and, and you look and his problem and, you know, really quite honestly, all the leaders of the Texas legislature, their problem is within the Republican Party. Right. The Republican Party message on wearing masks is so political. Right. You know, so, you know, you saw how long it took you know, for Trump to start wearing a mask, you know, on last Saturday, you know, they had a rally at the Capitol, the Texas Republican party did, you know, and I went to the thing and there's probably like 200 to 300 people there. And I got to tell you, there may have been 10 people wearing masks, 10, that's it. Like right. people were walking. I, I, at one point, I, I looked around at one point cause it's so weird to see in this era of COVID that mm -hmm. I looked behind me and nobody's wearing a mask. You know, it's just like this party, you know, thinks it's wrong, you know, at least parts of it, thinks it's wrong for you to right. make somebody even wear a mask, let alone get to the testing part. Yeah. And so you can see the difficult line that, you know, you know, Abbott, Patrick, uh, how they've tried to walk this thing and try to make sure they're safe. But at the same time, acknowledge that there's this undercurrent of this being a message about freedom and, you know, personal freedom. That like the party has turned into something else. You know, it's a banner, you know, more than it is a health precaution for some of these, you know, folks on the far right.
Yeah, I've heard some people say that they don't understand this. Why is it that Republicans don't like wearing the mask? I mean, it's not that hard to understand. For one, President Trump said that it's somehow a protest of him to put the mask on. Yeah, I mean, just, that was his statement. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And then the other thing is that the other reason it shouldn't be that hard to understand and why there's a difference between Democrats and Republicans on this. Republicans, because of the ideology that's embraced by Republicans, um, you know, uh, individualism, rugged individualism, conservatism, uh, rejects more in the way of government restrictions. And yep. a mask, a mask is you putting it, it's a restriction that says you have to put something on your body. Right. You have to put it on your face and everyone will see whether you agree with the restriction or not. It's the embodiment of a restriction uh, where Democrats are not um, as um, averse to that, right? They say, well, you know, if this is what we need to do to stay safe, then then we'll just do it. So you don't see this big pushback from Democrats. It makes some sense that Republicans would be hardwired to be sort of against that and that it would be a challenge for Republican leaders that they should uh, embrace and do their damnedest to make sure that on this one particular issue, when it comes to this restriction, it's something that you all need to do and have a uniform message about that. We reported here on the show previously that when the commissioner uh, for the Department of State Health Services, Dr. John Hellerstedt, when he was talking to a Republican county judge from Southeast Texas, um, that county judge had said, look, the messages on this have been mixed from the top down. Uh, throughout uh, the entire pandemic. And so you have um, those local officials who are trying to get folks to do the right thing, to wear the mask, to try to stem the uh, spread of this disease. And the people who live in their communities are hearing the governor say at first that the government should never have to force you to put a mask on. And then later in the pandemic, he changes his mind on that and says it is a mandate in Texas and you could be fined $250 from that uh, for that. It's a message that's all over the map. And you see that confusion playing out at the Texas Capitol as they start the business of governing the state from the legislative perspective. Well, and, and you know, I think the great example of that was what I saw down in Hidalgo County. You yeah. know, when Trump showed up there, he did not wear a mask. All right, you know, he—I never saw him with a mask the entire time he was down there. And the the important part of that is Hidalgo County may be the worst hit place in all of America from COVID nineteen. Uh -huh. They have lost nineteen hundred people. That is more wow. people lost in Hidalgo County than in you know, Bear County in San Antonio. Uh, Dallas, you know, Tarrant County, you know, those counties have more than 2 million people, mm -hmm. you know, and yet Hidalgo County with 870,000 people has lost 1,900 people. You know, it's like that is a lot of death. And for all the places to not wear a mask, that seemed like the last place on earth you would want to be without a mask on. And yet Trump wasn't wearing a mask. And those people I met along the roadway who were parked out for him none of them weren't wearing masks, or at least most of them weren't wearing masks. And yeah. so I, when I was wearing a mask going up to them, you could see I was already you know, identifying myself as not one of them. And so it just, to me, it just kind of really encapsulates this whole thing. Even at the worst place possible, uh, Republicans don't think they need to wear a mask. We will see if the attitudes on masks and testing and all of these restrictions shift at all at the legislature as they move forward, particularly in light of what we have reported this morning, that one member of the legislature may have exposed other lawmakers already as the legislative session just gets underway. Jeremy, I got a bunch of texts from uh, staffers and uh, other observers of the legislative process this morning. They were saying, here we go. 
Yeah. All, all of them basically said, here we go. You know, we're going to see where this where this goes from here. Uh, they've got to address the Texas budget. They've got to address redistricting this year, um, which uh, we will cover on uh, future shows. Very important. Um, but the way in which they do it is what's top of mind right now, because I think it is all in flux, even though they decided their rules just this week. I think it's going to be an ever-evolving thing, and that's why you want to tune in every week and check out Jeremy's coverage at HoustonChronicle.com, and you can check out what we do at QuorumReport.com. We'd love to have you as a subscriber at both. If you enjoy the show, and you know you are, you've listened for 40 minutes now, you should be a subscriber to the podcast as well on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts, and we'll see you right here next week. Mm-hmm.